which you'll find on page 539 of your Books of Praise. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground for our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and holy supper. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, with Lord's Day 25, we've entered a new section in the Catechism. Prior to this, the Catechism has been working through the doctrine of justification, how we are made righteous before God. We can see from the previous Lord's Days that works play no part in our righteousness before God. Rather, the key part of justification is faith. By faith, we take hold of what God has promised. Through faith, we are joined to Christ. And through faith, all of Christ's righteousness becomes our own. After seeing this, we have asked, is our faith a work that we can claim as our own? Sure, we say that we are saved by faith and that works play no role, but doesn't that mean that we are good before God on account of something that we have done? Doesn't this give our faith value? As we have seen in Lord's Day 23, this is not the case. We read there, not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, for only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. I can receive this righteousness and make it my own by faith only. Our faith in and of itself has no value. It is the empty hand of the ragged and sickly beggar stretched out from the gutter. He does not deserve anything. He is not owed anything. Anything that is given to him is a complete gift from the graciousness of the giver. This leads us to the questions, where does this faith come from? And how is it worked out in our lives? We're going to consider this as summarized under the following theme and points. The Holy Spirit teaches us and assures us by the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments that our full salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice on the cross. We'll reflect on the Spirit who works faith, and secondly, the means of grace. I'm not sure how many of you have tried to convince a friend of something. Maybe it was what kind of car was better. You said Chevy, and your friend was adamant that it was Ford. Or 
maybe you're a huge Leafs fan and your sister is a huge Ottawa Senators fan. Whatever you try to do, no matter what you say, they cannot be made to see reason. But maybe it's something more serious. Maybe your sister or brother is questioning. And maybe you've talked to that person and they've hardened their hearts. No matter what you try, no matter what you say, they do not understand or they do not care. They simply don't believe that God is who he says he is or care about it. Why, you ask? Why do they not care? Why don't they listen? What can we do about it? To understand this, we need to consider the source of our faith. Where does it come from? Not from ourselves, assures the Catechism. Not from ourselves at all. Maybe you've had Jehovah's Witnesses come by your door who argued that God saw the seed of faith in a person before he chose them, setting them apart from everyone else. But this is not what the Holy Spirit teaches in Scripture. The Holy Spirit teaches us just what the Catechism says. Our faith is given to us. It comes from the outside. We can see this in Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10. There we read, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. If you're the type to underline or highlight in your Bible, these are verses that are worth making note of. They're worth memorizing. But let's think about verse 8 in particular. What do we understand from that? That this faith is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. There is nothing within one person to set them apart. Nothing to make you stand out before God. It is all a gift. Of myself, I am worthless. But God has chosen to work in me. And if you believe, if you have faith, you have the knowledge that God has chosen to work in you. Isn't this an amazing thing, brothers and sisters? Through what avenue have we been granted faith? through the enlightening and regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. But what does this mean? 1 Corinthians 2 expounds on this. We read, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. What we can see here shows us what God has done in man. No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. The way of redemption, the way to salvation, how we can stand before a holy, awesome, almighty God and say with certainty that we who are poor, pitiful, and wretched sinners, hopeless, that we could be accepted. Holding fast to Christ and his one sacrifice on the cross. These are the things of God. That is what God has revealed to us through his Spirit. If it was just up to ourselves, we wouldn't look any further than ourselves. We would try to hold up our works, which fall far short of the perfection required. And we would try to make a go of things in our own strength. That's natural, man. 
The gospel says that you recognize your own sin and you flee from it. That life's not about passions and pleasures, but about bringing glory to God and finding our joy in Him. Being willing to go to church and worship. Being willing to accept a modest pay compared to what you could get elsewhere in order that you can remain a part of the communion of saints. You find in many communities that there are men who fly in and fly out to the oil fields of Alberta. And to many of these gentlemen, such a choice is ridiculous. Working in the oil fields and making incredible amounts of money for personal pleasures, that's what life's all about. Guys who aren't willing to go out for religious reasons are religious fanatics. They simply don't understand what kind of an incredible comfort we can find in a Psalm 139 God who we can constantly turn to, a God who hedges us in behind and before. So what does the Holy Spirit then do? He opens our hearts. One great example of this can be found in Acts 16. There, Paul goes out to preach the gospel to the local people of Philippi. Among them, we find a woman named Lydia, a seller of purple cloth from Thyatira. She's a smart woman. You have to have some business smarts in order to sell something as high value as purple cloth. It was a specialty item back in the day. But it wasn't her keen mind that allowed her to believe the gospel. As we read in Acts 16, verse 14, that the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. A special act of the Holy Spirit, apart from any merit of her own, picked her out of the crowd. Not everyone who heard Paul obeyed the call. Not everyone was saved. The Lord, working through his Holy Spirit, reached out and plucked this woman from the crowd to claim her as his own. In the Old Testament, this was spoken of as circumcising the heart. In Deuteronomy 30, the Lord speaks to the people of Israel, telling them to hear his voice and obey him. But it also emphasizes that when they do obey, it's not simply their own, of their own accord. He says, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, that, so that you may love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. The Israelites had to realize that what they received was from the Lord. Everything they received from him, even their love for him. They were called to cling to him and to rely on him for everything. Maybe you're a parent, a sibling, or a close friend to someone who has wandered from the faith, and you struggle. You don't know why this person isn't listening to you. You don't know why something which seems so obvious and so real to you doesn't seem to have an effect on them. You don't know why they can't see what you see. Beloved, you can't convince them. I'll say it again. You can't convince them. At the end of the day, it's not up to you. This is why God emphasizes so strongly that it is His work. As hard as it can be, as heartbreaking as it can be, we need to let go of trying to convince or persuade them in our own strength. 
don't see their refusal to understand as your personal shortcoming. Rather, lay your concerns about them at the foot of the cross. Bring that person before the word of the Lord and let the Lord do his work. It's the word of the Lord that has power. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, For the weapons of, warf- of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Sometimes the devil has built a real stronghold in someone's life. It's very hard to see someone we love, to see someone we care about in this position. But we need to find comfort in this. We don't fight with flesh and blood. We don't fight with persuasive arguments. In the end, we recognize that it is the Spirit's work that achieves the victory. And so we must bring those who stray before the power of the Word, Because the Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has divine power. And by it, the Holy Spirit demolishes the strongholds of the devil in people's lives, making the will which was dead alive, which was was bad, good, which was unwilling, willing, and which was stubborn, obedient. Don't underestimate the power of the Word of God, brothers and sisters. Because through it, the Lord works faith. And at the end of the day, his final decision is the one we need to submit to. We need to leave it in his hands. Seeing the struggles that some people have, brothers and sisters, recognize what a great gift faith truly is. The assurance that because of the work of Jesus Christ, you stand as guilt-free before the throne of the Almighty God is something not to be taken for granted, but it is, to, it is something to take joy in, to marvel in. For faith is not something that you have in and of yourself, but it has been granted to you as a free gift by God himself. As we read in Ezekiel, he is the one who puts a new heart and a new spirit within us. He is the one who takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh with which we may wholly love and serve our Savior. And it is this Savior, Jesus Christ, who has sent his Spirit to us, the Holy Spirit who works in us and renews our faith and repentance, to repentance, was able to be sent to us because of the work of Jesus Christ. As we read in our passage, John 16, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. God dwells in us. He is the source of our faith within us. And apart from Christ, we would not have this treasure in our lives. But thanks to him, thanks to him, we have riches beyond those this earth can offer. The foolishness of the world is our confidence and our strength on which we can cast all of our cares. This is our second point, the means of grace. The Holy Spirit focuses our faith on the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but he does not work alone. He is not simply a still, quiet voice whispering in the recesses of your heart. 
No, he works powerfully through the word and through the sacraments. And when the word is proclaimed, the people of God are called to gather together to hear the gospel. You might hear the response to this kind of a call. All you care about is getting me to church. I don't need church for that. I have a relationship with God. But what such a reply doesn't account for is the manner in which the Holy Spirit works. As we read, into, as we read in our passage, John 16, the spirit, of God, the spirit of truth will guide us into all truth. Moreover, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. The spirit of truth will guide us into truth. The truth which we receive through the proclamation of the good news of the gospel. Christ himself highlights the importance of preaching the word in Matthew 13 with a parable of the sower. The word goes out, but not everyone believes. Some have temporary belief and others reject the word. But for all who respond, the means is the same, the proclamation of the gospel. Another passage which speaks concerning the Spirit's work through the word is Romans 10. In Romans 10, verse 9 to 10, we read that famous passage that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and with the mouth that you confess and are saved. There, once again, the person and work of Jesus Christ is put at the center as being absolutely necessary for the salvation of those who believe. Without this gospel, this good news, you cannot see the depths of your sin or believe in Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation. This is serious. Without the gospel, there is no way to heaven. Because without the gospel, you do not have Jesus Christ. With this weighing on his mind, Paul writes with great urgency in verses 14 to 15, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe of him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without anyone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How can people call on God in prayer if they've never heard? if they do not believe in him. Consider this in your interactions with your unbelieving co-workers, neighbors, or friends, brothers and sisters. How can they call on him if they don't believe? And how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? If no one tells them about the gospel of salvation, how can they believe? How can those who preach do so without being sent? This, this is why Paul bursts out with a passionate and joyful cry. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's a beautiful thing to share the gospel and to be able to sit under the preaching of the word. It's a real gift to have preachers like Reverend Ludwig who can come Sunday after Sunday to proclaim the good news. But we must recognize that it's not always something that is appreciated. The reality is that in our lives, sometimes we appreciate the truth a great deal. It's very possible that you're passionate some days, but other days you're not. Can you find evidence in your life of the joy in coming to church that reflects the amazing message that you're taught?
Some may only attend once, others perhaps not at all. Or we may clock out the moment we settle down in our pews and get comfortable as the preacher begins. Yes, being present in body but absent in mind, whether through daydreaming or sleep, is just as much of a loss. If we do this, we scorn the spiritual banquet that has been laid out before us. And it's to our own loss. We're only hurting ourselves. As Paul goes on to say, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's the way we're saved. Hearing is the way we are built up in faith. And when we lose out on a chance to hear out on the proclamation of the word, we lose out on this opportunity to be built up. But if we take part in the worship service and take joy in the proclamation of the word, what pleasure we can get for this, from this. The gospel is for all. That is the other side of the coin to the words, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Those who are weak are made strong. Those who mourn are comforted. And those who are joyful can be given a greater joy, one that surpasses all measure. It's a beautiful thing to hear the gospel. Again and again we can bring our concerns, our worries and our sorrows to the foot of the cross. Week after week we can leave heartened and given strength once again by the good news that our sins are indeed forgiven us. And that we do stand as righteous before God. And as our faith grows, we will become passionate about the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We will become passionate about the name of our King, without whom no one can be saved. We will become passionate about hearing it proclaimed, and we will become emboldened to live out our lives, our calling as ambassadors of our great and glorious King, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. However, even with the preaching of the gospel, it's not always easy, is it? Sometimes things go well, but other times we drift. We begin to doubt if it's true. Or maybe we become like David in Psalm 51, having fallen into serious sin and fearing that God will take spirit from us. This, brothers and sisters, is why we must believe. Believe that we have a Savior who has been righteous for us. And believe that he renews our hearts and our minds. Simply being told to believe, however, isn't always helpful. In order to strengthen us with regards to this, our Lord Jesus Christ has given us the sacraments, baptism and Lord's Supper. The Catechism describes the sacraments as holy, visible signs and seals. They are holy because they are signs that were set apart. To be holy means to be set apart. They are signs that were set apart by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew 26, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus confirmed the use of the sacrament of baptism when he told his disciples to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These two were set apart to signify that the life and death of Christ are truly ours. That is the reason why we only have two sacraments instead of the Roman Catholic seven. They are like road signs which point to the reality ahead, 
And like the seal that you receive on your diploma after you graduate from college or university, signifying that you have indeed completed your studies, they are assurances that the suffering and death of Christ are indeed ours. But why do the sacraments so strongly highlight our salvation in Christ? Why don't we have a sacrament which, for example, highlights the work of the Holy Spirit? Because it is through the suffering and death of Christ, our, uh, it is through making the suffering and death of Christ our own by faith that we are saved. That is the simple message that it comes down to. That is why the Holy Spirit came. Like a spotlight shining down on center stage, illuminating the person singing a solo, the Holy Spirit shines on Jesus Christ, illuminating his person and work. He enlightens us as to the power of Jesus Christ, our King. It's as Christ himself said in verses 13 to 14 of the passage we read from John 16 at the beginning of the service. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. The Holy Spirit will cause Jesus to be glorified through the proclamation of the gospel. He won't add to it. Some more extreme Pentecostals will claim that the Holy Spirit speaking in their hearts carries a higher authority than what has been revealed to us. But the Spirit of truth has chosen to limit himself only to what God has revealed in his word. And so the focus of our faith is not drawn to something new bubbling up within our own imaginations. Rather, the focus of our faith is fully on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our salvation. As our high priest, he has fully accomplished everything for us. That is the good news that the Holy Spirit causes us to cling to by the faith that he has worked in our hearts. What a message we can glory in. The sacraments are visible. They are the external display of something that is happening internally. God gave them to us because of our weaknesses when it comes to just words. Wives, girlfriends, and fiancés in our congregation, consider this. If your significant other told you he loved you, but gave you no outward signs of this, would you believe him? Maybe in the beginning you might, but eventually the power of words wears off, doesn't it? It's human nature that we need outward, visible symbols of things that are internal and invisible. For example, what if your significant other brought you flowers or went out of his way to spend quality time with you? He took you out for dinner or he did some of the chores, did the laundry, he changed the diaper of the baby. He did something to you that showed you that he was speaking to you in your love language. Wouldn't that make you feel much more loved? God understands us in a much deeper way than we can even fathom. The sacraments are a very real sign of this. They are his way of visibly showing us that he understands our weaknesses. He understands the fact that we need to 
see something, that we need to have something tangible. And so God has granted the sacraments as a demonstration of his infinite love to his beloved bride and as an outward show of an inward reality that is great beyond understanding. And even better, they are a seal. They are a declaration that as certainly as we see the sacrament carried out, so certainly are the promises that are signified by them a reality. For Jesus Christ is their truth, and apart from him, there would be nothing. What Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf is ours without doubt and without question. That is what is represented by the sacraments. What an incredible gift this is for us. From the beginning to the end, we are held in the, loving, we are held in the palm of our loving and faithful Savior. If we feel that our faith is small and weak, even as small as a mustard seed, we can turn to the author and perfecter of our faith and rest in the assurance that he will give us what we need. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking wick he will not quench. Can we not see this in the lengths he goes to us, even providing us with these visible signs and seals to back up the promises that you've seen as recently as the Lord's Supper that you celebrated two weeks ago? Rest in the assurance which is given to us by these sacraments that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Amen.